Hi, this is Pastor David Cooper. Thank you for joining my podcast. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you. I also want to ask you to share the podcast with others. Together, we can make an impact in people's lives as we introduce them to the Word of God. Thank you for your partnership and ministry of the Mount Perrin family and our outreach. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you today. What did you get for Christmas? Growing up, Christmas was a big day at our house. My parents went all out for Christmas. Five kids, mom and dad, come down early for Christmas gifts, and I was always the first one down, ready to get started. Got sent back to bed a couple of times, couldn't wait to open the presents. My dad and mom would organize everything so that everybody had their own place. You have five kids, that's a chaos. We opened the presents. And then my mom fixed a big breakfast. And then we were outside to play and went to play in the park right across the street. And we'd see our friends and everybody would ask, what did you get for Christmas? What do we get at Christmas? Paul thought about the generosity of God. He writes in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. As we come to worship on this Christmas day, all of us can say thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And there he meant the gift of Jesus, the gift of eternal life, the gift of grace. Religion puts such an emphasis on what we do. Then the gospel comes crashing through in the middle of all of it and tells us what God has done for us in Christ, the gift of God. And at Christmas, sometimes we're trying to find the, the perfect gift for the people we love. There was a man that had a difficult relationship with his mother-in-law. She just didn't like him. One Christmas, he had run out of ideas, and she was getting up in years, and so he bought her a very expensive cemetery plot in a very prestigious cemetery. She was grateful for it, didn't understand it. But next Christmas, he couldn't think anything to buy her and so he didn't get her anything, and they had the big family get together and the meal, and everybody opened presents. When she realized he didn't buy her a present, she was livid. She said, I can't believe that you didn't buy me a gift this Christmas. And he snapped back, well, you still haven't used the gift I got you last year. <laughs> Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What a remarkable truth that the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, eternal life, hope, faith, love, blessings, favor. These are gifts from God. Not something we work and produce, not something we strive and earn. The gift of God is the most unique feature of the Christian message. Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And when someone gives you a gift, you receive it. You're grateful for it. You treasure it. And Paul says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He reminds us, first of all, of the source of the gift. Thanks be to God. It's so easy to take things for granted and overlook the blessings of every day, but everything we get, everything we enjoy, everything we have 
It came from God, from his goodness, our creator, our father, our provider. Paul went to preach at Mars Hill in Athens, Greece. And I've been there, in fact, stood in that very place and delivered part of his sermon from Acts 17 to the group called the Unknown God. And in it, he says in Acts 17, 28 of the Lord, in him we live and move and have our being. In Romans 11, verse 33 and 36, he said, Oh, the depth of the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. For from him and to him and through him are all things. From God, from him, to him, and through him are all things. And we know James told us in James 1 and 17, Every good and perfect gift comes from above. From the Father of lights in whom there is no variable, I see the shadow of turning. And we come to Christmas and we realize God gave the greatest gift in his son. What is love? And love is very difficult at times to define. But John tells us in 1 John 4 and 10, herein is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. And sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We come together to worship on Christmas Day. We look at the greatest gift, the gift of Jesus, the gift of life, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of grace. No more striving, no more religious works, no more self-effort, no more labor under our guilt and fear, trying to atone for our own misgivings and failures. We can come and receive the gift of God. The first time that Barbie and I visited the Holy Land and took a group from the church. We went to Bethlehem and we visited the church of the nativity and then we went down to what is the traditional site of the birthplace of Jesus. And of course, Bethlehem is right outside of Jerusalem. It's where David had grown up as a shepherd and made it such a beautiful city and renowned for the birthplace of Jesus. And you can still see the shepherds out on the hillsides of these days. They still are shepherds and farmers. And we were in an ancient stable under that church. And we don't know if it's exact stable, but it was one just like it. It was like a cave. And it had this one small place with a marker where they believed the manger was. And I'll always remember Barbie getting on her knees to reach in there and put her hand right on the spot. I think she was maybe trying to identify with what Mary must have felt being a mother herself in the gift of Christ coming into the world, a mystery beyond mysteries. And her weeping in that moment of joy, of worship, of thinking of the indescribable gift. And then we stood and saying, oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. And that's what worship is all about. It's about giving God thanksgiving for his indescribable gift and recognizing that all the good things we enjoy in this life come to us from him. And then Paul reminds us of the sacredness of this gift. He says, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. The gift is so great you can't describe it. The word also means unspeakable. It's so incredible you can't 
find the words to describe it. Have you ever been given a gift that was so meaningful to you that you had a hard time telling your friends how great the gift really was? And they're like saying, I know it's a great gift. You're saying, no, it's an amazing gift. You lack the vocabulary to tell them how incredible this gift was and what it means to you. And when Paul considered the gift of Christ coming in the world and the gift of God, he said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Fascinating for a man who had no shortage of words. Writes the lengthy book of Romans, a, a treatise on the Christian faith. The lengthy letters of Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, on and on. A man who composed over half of the New Testament. And yet, when he considers the grace of God and the love of God, he can't find words to describe the love of God it beyond human vocabulary. It's unspeakable. I feel that as a, a preacher of the gospel every time I near the subject of the incarnation of Christ or the crucifixion. In my conversations with people going through their own journey of faith, I find that I lack the vocabulary to explain the love of God and the grace of God. It's so great. It's indescribable. It's so marvelous. It's unspeakable. Sitting in prison in Rome, remember he wrote the Philippian letter, and there he talks about a peace that transcends all human understanding. You know, I'm a therapist and a counselor and I enjoy working with people and most people are searching for peace and lower their anxiety and their depression and there's certainly things people could do naturally but there is another peace that is so great I can't even explain it but you can experience it. It comes from God and it transcends all human understanding. And if you experience it, you know the reality. And he also in Ephesians writes about preaching the gospel, and he said, I'm preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. The riches are so great, they're unsearchable, they're, they're unknowable. And also in Ephesians, he prays that we would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. What a paradox. He basically says, I want you to know something that you can't know. The way I felt in algebra class in ninth grade. And the tutoring I got, and they wanted me to know something that I cannot know. He said, I'm praying that you will know and experience the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And Paul had a vision one time of heaven. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And he says, I was caught up to the third heaven. Now, in Jewish theology, the first heaven is the atmosphere of the earth, and the second heaven would be a, the spiritual realm. The third heaven would be the dwelling of God. And he says, I was caught up to the third heaven, and I saw inexpressible and glorious things. And he never says one word about what he saw. He said, it was so incredible, it was inexpressible. I can't find any words to really explain it to you, except to say that it was inexpressible and glorious. And Peter, when he talked about our faith, 
He was an eyewitness, and he says that in his letters. And the other apostles, and so many, they said, we were eyewitnesses of the, of the majesty of Jesus. They were there when they saw the transfiguration of his divinity. But he knew that most believers would never see Jesus. He knew that most Christians would never have the opportunity to see Jesus the way they did. He realized they were a very distinguished and privileged group. And, and yet he writes to all of us who are just as faithful to Jesus as they were. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The King James says, you have joy unspeakable and full of glory. The Phillips translation says, you have a joy too great for words. What words, really, do I have to tell you the indescribable gift of the divinity of Jesus? How can I really tell you how incredible it is that the Son of God would enter the world and share our humanity? And yet he did. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. What words could I describe his amazing miracles that John said were so many that if they had written them all down, the world couldn't contain the volume of books. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And how can I explain to you his sinlessness? He shared our humanity, but he was divine. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And what words could I possibly find to describe the crucifixion? Where God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's an unspeakable gift. And on the third day, when they all arrived at the tomb early Easter morning, and the stone was moved, and the guards had fled, and a message of the Lord said to the women, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen just as he said. And the glory of his Ascension into heaven, where he ever lives to make intercession for us. And of all that goes on in this world today, what words can I really tell you to make you believe that there's coming a great, glorious day that's so amazing? I can't really tell you what it's going to be about, but I can tell you it's real. And people ask me all the time, what is the rapture like? I have no earthly idea. I have no idea what that means, that we should be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds of the air. But whatever it is, I want to be there. People ask me about heaven. I've never been there. I don't know. It's so amazing. God lives there. It's got to be great. It's inexpressible. And there comes a day in the history of the world with all these changes. It's fascinating to watch generations as they move through time and younger generations coming up and the world keeps changing and some are used to it and some aren't used to it and yet some people worry about where is it all going? The Lord himself shall ascend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds of the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's an unspeakable gift and yet it is a great reality. 
And that's what's so magnificent about Jesus. He transcends all religion. You can explain other religions. It's creeds and confessions and rituals and good works and helping the poor. And those are all great things. But then you meet Jesus Christ face to face and he stands above all of it and says, I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, the savior of the world. And you look at his love and his mercy and his power and his grace and you say, it's unspeakable. It's inexpressible. It's so incredible, the love of God. Auguste Comte was a French philosopher, and he's the founder of what is called positivism. And he was a, in a conversation one day with the Scottish essayist Thomas Carlyle. And he told Carlyle, he said, I'm going to start my own new religion, and it's going to replace the religion of Christ. It's going to have its own mysteries, and it's going to be really simple to understand. And it's going to replace the religion of Christ. Carlyle said, well, your religion may have a chance to succeed. If you can speak as never a man spoke, live as never a man lived, be crucified, rise again, and then convince the whole world that you're alive, your religion might make it. What God did in Christ and what he does in us is so incredible. It's an indescribable gift. And then Paul reminds us of the sufficiency of this gift. Have you ever had a, one of those Christmases where you only wanted one gift? Now, the Christmas catalogs are great. and They're still sending Christmas catalogs to people's homes. And I'll tell you, as a kid, when the Christmas catalog comes, I mean, that's why nobody can study once the Christmas catalog comes. That's the only book kids want to look at is that one. It's amazing all the things in a catalog. But every now and again, there's just one gift you want more than anything else. And it doesn't really matter to you, whatever else, to get that Christmas. You're hoping to get that one gift. Have you ever had a Christmas like that? The year I got my first bicycle tired of borrowing my brother's bicycle that was too big for me. I had to stand on the curb and get a running start and jump on it. And I was hoping I was going to get my first bicycle. And I came downstairs and there it was under the tree. It was kind of a bright red bicycle with a bow on it. I knew what everybody else had. I knew that one was for me. That's the only thing I wanted. I jumped right on it. There's a picture my mother has of me sitting on top of that bicycle in the living room with the tree and everything else. I couldn't ride. I'm just sitting right on top of it. As soon as they let me out the door, I've, I've gone. I've been moving ever since. I've been on the go ever since I got that bicycle. It's all I wanted. And Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. One gift, one gift. Jesus is the one and only. He's the only son of God. God so loved the world, he said, that he gave his only begotten son. He's the only 
truth. One time, some of the people that were casual followers of Jesus didn't like what he said, and so they got mad and left. And in John chapter 6, verse 67 and 69, he turned to his disciples and said, Will you leave also? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus is the only way. Somebody asked recently, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Well, he's the only way I know for sure. You can try the other ones if you want, but I do know this one is the right road. In John 14 and 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he's the only Savior. I've never thought about Jesus as a teacher or a philosopher or psychologist or a miracle worker. I always thought of Jesus as the Savior. He holds the one title that no one else holds. He's the Savior of the world. One gift. Peter said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He's the only foundation. As a pastor, and all of our pastors know this, we serve people to help them have a foundation for their life, for their marriage, for their home, for their business for their morals, something to stand on, something to count on. And there's only one foundation you can really build a great life on. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, no one can lay any other foundation than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's a solid rock. Everything else is sinking sand. And he's the only mediator the word mediator means a bridge over a chasm. I remember the first time we saw the Grand Canyon and took the kids out west, the expanse was overwhelming. I've always thought about that vast chasm. I thought about the distance between humanity and God caused by sin. And yet there's a mediator, there's a bridge. There's only one bridge to cross the chasm. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. For there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And that gift is sufficient. That one gift, the gift of Christ as your Savior, is sufficient for all of your needs. Every Christmas, after we open the presents, my dad would say, there's one more gift for you, one more present. And it was always a small gift that he would just wrap in tissue. And you never knew where it was. He said, go look in that tree. See if you can't find it. I remember one year it was a tiny pocket knife. It seemed in that moment more important than everything else. And 2,000 years ago, God put a Christmas tree on Calvary. 
and said, go look in that tree. There's a gift for you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Would you join me for prayer? Lord, we thank you. We stand in amazement of the wonders of grace beyond our comprehension and yet not beyond the grasp of our faith to believe. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the mercy and grace and salvation and life. And I pray for every person that they may truly know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In this morning here watching me, perhaps this could be the day you go to Calvary and receive the gift of Christ. You know, the Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God and the daughters of God. You can receive Jesus as your Savior right here, right now. Would you pray after me if you'd like to experience the saving grace of Christ? Pray this prayer to God from your heart. Lord Jesus, I do believe that you are the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Lord, forgive me of all of my sins. Come into my life today. Save me by your grace. I receive you as my Savior. I make my decision today to follow you as Lord of my life. And I give you praise in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining me today as we've shared together the Word of God. Let me ask you to download the Mount Perrin Church app today so that we can stay connected and you can see all the great services and resources available for you and your family. Follow me on social media and also the Mount Perrin Church family. I look forward to seeing you in church to worship on campus and online. God bless you. Have an incredible day.